Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. So being in Texas right now, it's just a weird time. Uh, as a matter of fact, you've been seeing on the news over and over again, a week and a half ago, we had all this ice and snow and electricity's gone, water pressure is gone. Uh, just things were in chaos. And, you know, going through that here, it's, it was kind of a weird time for me. As a matter of fact, it, it started to show me those people that are, are close to me. You know what I'm saying? When you go through difficult times, people that actually show up when you're going through a struggle, that's what happened to a lot of us. You're hearing about some stories right now of those taking place where neighbors are helping neighbors and friends are helping friends. Well, I've got lots of friends, by the way, lots of friends, people that I know, but many of them are, you know, they're not they're not real close, if you know what I mean. They're just acquaintances, people that I pass by and know their names, but they don't, they're not the kind of folks that would show up at my house uh, in the middle of, of a difficult time. Now, I've got a few that are like that, a few that are really close, um, but I could probably count them on my fingers, like, you know, three, four, maybe five at the most. One of them uh, that happened to show up, actually, he contacted me, and I only had two that contacted me during that season. Uh, one of them just said, hey, I just want you to know, man, I, I wanted to check on you. I wanted to see how y'all were doing, you, you and your family, while all this was going on. His name's David, great friend. By the way, we've been in a discipleship group together. We've been in a pour into each other's lives. I, I've helped uh, share Jesus with him. He's helped pour back into my life. Our families are close. We spend time together. And it meant the world to me to have somebody to check on me, to know that they were that close enough to love me, to be concerned about me and my family. And let me tell you, th- David's that kind of guy that it's just natural to be with. I love just hanging out. And whether we get out every day with each other or whether it's once a week, it doesn't matter. It just feels natural when we are together. And I love having a friend like that. It's such a life-giving moment when we get together and hang out and get to see one another. So I started thinking about friends. What does it mean to have a friend? To have those that are close. I mean, you know, some of them lift you up. Some of them tear you down. Uh, sometimes it's easy to be with people. Sometimes it's really hard. We still call them friends to be with. Then we start thinking about all those people that are online. Think about all your social media folks, you know, whether you're on TikTok or Facebook, Instagram, uh, whatever social media platform, Snapchat that you use, whatever those are, we talk about friends. I mean, really friends that are on there, but most of the time they're just uh, clickbait. (laughs) That's all they are. We don't really know who they are. We just see a name that kind of passes by. There was an actual study done by this uh, anthropologist named uh, Robin Dunbar. And he studied the human brain. He studied how humans interact with one another. You know what he found out? He found out there were only so many people that you can hang out with enough that are close enough to you that call friends. And there are different layers that he started talking about. So he came up with this, uh, this idea after doing all this study that five people, up to five people is the most that would be intimate friends. Those that would be really close. That's how many people that you and I can actually handle. Well, by the way, up to 15, he would call those good friends. You know, friends that you hang out regularly with, that, you know, are in your circles all the times. From 15, it goes up to 50 next. Man, 50 to try to think about all those. He would call those regular friends. So, you know, your kids are in school together. You see each other on occasion. Maybe you go to work out at the Y or your gym or whatever it is. Those would be regular friends. The next level jumps to 150, and all of a sudden my brain starts hurting, calls it 150 to try to think of that many names. He literally would call those just contacts. They're friends, but they're like 
occasional contacts that you, you maybe see once in a while. Over 150 acquaintances. That's it. So how many friends do you have on your social media? By the way, I looked the other day just for the fun of it at my Facebook account. I've got over 1,600 people. I don't even know how that happened. I can't even tell you half of who they are. By the way, I, I know you're watching. You're my best friend. I know you're my friend on Facebook. You really are. But I'm just telling you, at 1,600, there's no way. And I started thinking in my own life, you know, that's, that seems true, doesn't it? Those that are close that seem to pour into us, that there's only these few that do that. Craig Rochelle's a pastor. He, he once said, look, I develop friends face-to-face, -face, not thumbs-to-thumbs. -thumbs. <laughs> I thought about that in my own life. There is something about having somebody that's there with you that pours into your life that's life-giving. I, I think it's the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus had his close three, Peter, James, and John. He had his next layer, 12 disciples that he hung out with, poured into his life. He had some crowds up to, you know, 50 that it would come, and then he had larger crowds. So Jesus followed the same kind of model. In the passage we're going to look at today, Paul tells us about some really close friends and what it meant to him to have those in his life. And there's some certain qualities that I think we'll find out of the passage we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So why don't you take out your Bible, uh, find it online, wherever it's easy for you to look it up, Philippians 2.19. While you're doing that, let me give you a little background. So first of all, Paul's in prison while he is writing. This is a letter that he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's in prison while he's writing this. Now, that's going to be important. We're going to talk about it more in just a little bit, uh, that he has these two friends that are there with him that we're going to hear about in just a second. Last week, you heard Pastor Jason share a little bit about uh, what it means to have right perspective as we were leading into these verses. And by the way, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians while we're walking through this. So Pastor Jason, if you'll remember from last week's message, was having a right perspective, not only on who we are, but even with our Savior. And it changes the way all of our relationships, it changes the way all of our activities, everything we're involved in, the way we view them. You ought to go back and watch that message if you haven't had a chance to. But we're going to see Paul here describe two really good friends that poured into his life. And I think it'll mean a lot to you and I as we dive in deeper. So let's start with verse 19 of chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How was a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what is lacking in your service to me. So what you see here is you've got these two guys that are ministering to Paul. Timothy, we've already heard about before. Epaphroditus, you're getting to learn about for the first time. Now, I told you Paul was in prison. Paul loved the church at Philippi. He wished he could go see them, but he wasn't able to. He actually needed two people that he was going to be able to send back. Uh, Epaphroditus, you hear a little bit about here, was sent from uh, the church of Philippi to come and minister to Paul. I'll talk to you a little bit more about him in just a moment. But first of all, Timothy. Look, there was this place in Paul's life where he had poured into Timothy, Timothy's life. They had walked arm in arm. Paul had helped Timothy learn what it'd be to be a, a, a 
means to be a minister, to be able to love on him, to show him. And now, praise the Lord, Timothy's able to pour that back into Paul. They were really close to each other, so close that he talks about it here in verse 22. Look again with me at verse 22. It says, but you, Timothy, uh, you've proven your worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in a gospel. So Timothy was so close that Paul actually calls him a son. Now, that's pretty cool to think about that they have that kind of close relationship to be able to pour into each other back and forth. I love that thought between the two of them. And, and then he introduces Epaphroditus in verse 25. And here he says in 25, as he's talking about Epaphroditus, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. These guys weren't just acquaintances. These guys were much more than that. Timothy meant the world to Paul. Epaphroditus meant the world to Paul. He talks about them highly in this passage. Now, look, because Paul couldn't go, Paul in prison again, he's facing a trial coming up. Paul doesn't even know if he's going to make it through the next trial. Could you imagine that? He doesn't even know if he's going to survive through the next trial that he's going through. He's got the religious leaders in the area, not just he's in prison in Rome, not just the Romans that are coming against him, but even the religious people. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 17, where they were coming against him over and over again. And you heard Pastor Jason talk about last week about how people grumble all the time. Paul had all this negative stuff going on, and he needed some folks that he could count on, he could rely on, and here he has Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were truly close friends of his. Now, I went through a season in my life where I didn't have uh, some close friends. Maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe you're at a place in your life where you've struggled, and you don't have anybody close to you. You may have lots of likes and lots of friends online. You may know lots of people, but do they really know you? We had moved here from Mississippi. We're in Texas now. And when we came, we got to immediately connect with people in the church. By the way, you ought to get connected to a church if you're not. Uh, people that you can count on and love on, they will be there. They can be great friends. But we were in the hallways. We get to know people. We get to, count, uh, get to know their names. But I didn't really have anybody close. My wife didn't either. We actually began to pray that the Lord would bring somebody in our lives. It was two years. Two years we had to go through. Man, my heart ached. It wasn't that I didn't know Jesus, that Jesus wasn't walking with us, but there was this deep longing in my life to have somebody there with us. I wish we had somebody that was close. Thankful Lord, you heard about David. We got to know him. He started pouring in our life. And just like we've seen here with Paul, even when he's going through these hard, difficult times, he's got people he can count on. Now, as I look at these two guys and the way that Paul described them, I actually think he gives four qualities to you and to me of what it means to be a life-giving friend. So I want to show you those four qualities today as we go back and look through these scriptures here. Four qualities that I think, if you don't have a friend right now, begin to pray that God would bring that kind of friend in your life. And for that matter, maybe looking at the current friends that you have, do they reflect these qualities that Paul brings out? The first one, I think we find, as he talks about Timothy, and I want to show that to you in verse 20 and 21. Here he says about Timothy, for I have no one like him. Paul says this about Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Talking about the church of Philippi. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So when I look at this and I see that they're seeking their own interest, here's the first quality. A life-giving friend is someone that's more interested in you rather than themselves. Let me say that again. A life-giving friend is more interested in you rather than themselves. It's exactly what we see Paul talking to Timothy about. Now, you've got to know, 
Paul knew Timothy. He'd been walking with him, had seen all the things that he'd been able to do in his life. And he says here in verse 20 that I have no one like him. Literally in the original Greek language, it's saying that there is no one of equal soul. Paul has nobody like Timothy. Timothy is there for him through the thick and thin at all times. And then it talks about the others there. They all seek their own interest, it says in verse 21. You know people like that. People that are more interested in themselves than they are in you. That's not the kind of life-giving friend that Paul has here. It's the exact opposite of that. It's the kind of friend that would come to you when you have hurts and needs, when you have wants, when you have somebody that you need, that they would be more interested in you than even them own, their own selves. Back at the beginning of this chapter in verse 3, we've heard this verse quoted several times, but Paul already talks about the kind of person that he, Timothy was here. And in verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, notice this, count others more significant than yourselves. So that first quality, that somebody would find you, your importance, more valuable, more important than even what they would think for themselves. I've watched that happen in life several times. And, and the way that uh, people walk with one another, and even as we see what happens in the life of Timothy here, I praise the Lord that he had somebody that was that close to him and was that able to pour into his life that way, that expressed having this heart and concern for others and is interested in them as well. Jesus, by the way, said the exact same thing. You're going to see it several times in scripture where Jesus talks about uh, loving others. Uh, Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And in Mark 12, 30 and 31, he gives us this idea that says, the first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second, and you've heard Jesus say this before, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a giver, not a taker. That's the kind of person we're talking about. A life-giving friend that would say, I have these things that I have to get going, and I know they're in my life, but you are so important to me. You are so important to me that I'm going to place my thing second and place you first. Wouldn't that be a life-giving friend? Wouldn't you want that in your life, somebody that looks after you that way? Then let's go to the second quality then. I think the second quality is shown when he talks about Epaphroditus. We read this already, but let's look back at verse 25. Here Paul describes who Epaphroditus is to him. Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. He is my brother. Did you notice there? My fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister in my time of need. He goes through these descriptions of talking about who Epaphroditus is. I specifically want to focus in on what it means that Paul would call him my brother. Now, uh, here's that second quality. The second quality is a life-giving friend values relationship. A, a life-giving friend values relationship. It's funny that Paul would call him my brother. Paul doesn't talk about his family at all. We don't ever hear about sisters or mom or dad, brother or sister, anything about that in Paul's life. And yet right here, he calls him my brother. So Epaphroditus is not like physical relationship brother with Paul, but he's something even better than that. In the Christian life, we have brothers and sisters in Christ. You hear people talk about that in church, my brother or my sister. Why do they do that? Well, in Proverbs 18, 24, the verse there, it says that, look, a man can have many companions, but that could lead to ruin. But there is a friend that is closer than a brother. How does a friend become closer than a brother? Several places in scripture talks about it. If, uh, Galatians 3.26 says that if you are a believe and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son of God. Did you know that? It says you're a son of God. John 1.12 says that, look, if you uh, are at a place that 
uh, as many as receive Jesus in their life or put their belief and faith in him, that you have the right to become children of God. You become a part of this larger family of God Almighty. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters. That's why Paul here says that he is that close to him. He values that relationship with him just like family, that intimate, deep relationship. Man, I would love to have that in my life. And I know you would too. To have a friend that is that close, that brings life to you in that way. Now, when it's there, it's also a, a, a friend that values a relationship is present with you. Not just online, not just somebody at a distance, but somebody that can actually show up both physically and emotionally in your life. You know, we went through this really difficult time here in Texas a couple of weeks ago. You saw that fleshed out when somebody actually showed up at your home and helped you with your pipes or helped you with your home or opened their own home for you to come into. People that are there with you physically when you're going through really difficult times. I, I read on Pinterest. Yeah, I know. I see Pinterest every once in a while. There was a quote there by this guy named Walter Winchell. I loved what it had to say, though. It said, a real friend is this. It's someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. That's a friend that values relationship. That is a life-giving friend. That is somebody that's there with you when you're going through the tough time, even emotionally. So it's present with you emotionally to empathize with you. So to empathize means to share the feelings of another person. That when they hurt, you hurt. When they're angry, you're angry. When they're going through times that you're feeling the same thing, just like with them, that they're with you through it all. That they're the shoulder to cry on when you need it. They're, when you're weak, they're your strength. They help you through. They are there to help you in every situation. That's the kind of friend that would be life-giving. If you need prayer, they're there to pray with you. By the way, they pray for you. I would love to have a friend like that, a friend that I would consider family, a friend that would be life-giving. Let's talk about the third quality. The third quality, I think, also comes out of this uh, verse 25, where we've been talking about Epaphroditus. Paul describes him as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. So here's the third quality. The third quality says, a life-giving friend works with you, not against you. Whew, man. Works with you, not against you. How many people are working against you? Paul had it in his own life. The religious people were working against him. The, uh, the government authorities are working against him. Everybody's working against him. And then he's got Timothy and, and Epaphroditus here that works with him as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Now, this is not just doing any kind of work. It's work for the glory of Jesus Christ. It talks about here how Paul loves uh, Timothy so much that he served with me in the gospel, what Paul says about Timothy. As we've seen in, in verse 25, that they are doing work for ministry's sake here together. Somebody that's in the trenches with you. Somebody that is fighting with you and for you. By the way, uh, as this is happening, Paul knows he's in prison. As I told you before, he can't go back to the church of Philippi. Who could he send? Who has equal soul and value in his own life? He knows Timothy and Paul both. I mean, uh, he knows that Timothy and Epaphroditus can do that. So he's planning to send them back, recognizing when they go to Philippi, when they take this letter that he's writing, they will speak just like Paul would speak. They would say the same things that Paul would say, that they would fight for him, not against him in this moment, work with him in this moment. We had this happen to us. It was literally right before the storm hit us uh, here in Texas. My family lives in North Carolina. I'm here in Texas. And I hadn't seen my parents in some time. So my wife and I uh, got on a plane, flew to North Carolina. My daughter is in college here in Texas. She's a sophomore. And as soon as we got off the plane, I'm getting ready to meet my parents. I get this phone call from my daughter. And the first word she says is, okay, now don't panic, Dad. I'm about to tell you something. Now, any parent that hears that is coming from a child, I immediately panic. I can't help it. So my wife and I both are trying to figure out what in the world's going on. 
She'd gotten incredibly sick. Actually had a nurse come check on her to make sure she was okay. She had made it back to her room and she was calling us, just telling us she made it back there. So here I am, we're in North Carolina, she's in Texas. We don't know what we're gonna do. We're feeling frantic and panicked and we just needed somebody we could call, somebody that we knew we could count on, just like Paul counted on Timothy and Epaphroditus here. So what do we do? We actually called somebody that we knew would be a life-giving friend. And what did they do? They went to see my daughter. They called her. They followed up with her. They were able to act on our behalf. They spoke to her like we would have spoken to her. They loved on her like we were able to love on her. That's exactly what Paul had here in these two guys. What incredible friends. It meant the world to us. And I know it meant the world to Paul as well. To have a life-giving friend. All right, the last quality, the fourth one. The fourth one is a life-giving friend is gospel-centered. A life-giving friend is gospel-centered. I love that here Paul talks about Epaphroditus in that same verse 25, and he says, he's your messenger and he's a minister to my needs. When he says he's your messenger, he's talking about bringing the good news, the good news that have happened in Philippi, being able to talk about the things that Jesus has done in their life, being able to point them to Jesus over and over again. He's able to tell Paul about all the great things that Jesus is doing. And when it talks about ministering to the needs of Paul here, it's really an interesting uh, play on words. It's actually referring to the Paphroditus almost being like a pastor, a shepherd to Paul, that he is literally praying for him and ministering to him in his time of need. A friend that has a life-giving friend that has uh, gospel-centeredness in their life has Jesus on their heart and mind at all times. They are willing to talk to you about who Jesus is. So much so that, let me tell you, sometimes it's, it's difficult to hear that. There's this whole balance we talk about in church between grace and truth and what it means to walk those two lines. In this moment, we have Paul that, that is able to know what truth is. He studied the scripture, but in our own life, sometimes we need a friend that's close enough to us that able to tell us truth when we need to hear it. Whenever we've gone off the path away from Jesus, that they could point us back to who Jesus is in our lives and be able to remind us once again, we've gotten on the path. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody that you know could pour into your life the good news of Jesus, the gospel? The other side is grace. Listen, all of us mess up. Even me as a pastor, all of us do. I know you've gone through struggles in your own life. You've gotten away from the Lord at times in your life. Sometimes you just need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus, that he loves us enough in the midst of our sin and our difficulty that he can forgive us of that struggle. There is grace found in Jesus. And to have a friend that will remind us of that means all the world. That is a life-giving friend. Epaphroditus believed in it so much, it almost cost his life. He was willing to lay down everything. That's what means as well to be gospel-centered. In verse 30, Paul reminds us of the journey that Epaphroditus had been on. And he said, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus was willing to lay down everything, everything for the glory of Jesus, everything to go from Philippi to come and minister to Paul, everything because the gospel meant everything to him. He believed in it that much. Do you have a friend like that in your life that so believes in Jesus, that so has him ready on their heart and mind that they would be willing to share that with you when you need to hear it, to show grace when you need it, and to point you to Jesus, willing to lay down everything. That's what Epaphroditus and Timothy were willing to do. That's the kind of friends that Paul had in his life. All right, Jim, so you've shared all this, these qualities with us and talked to us about them. So what does that mean for me? I, I, I know you were asking that. So I don't have a friend like that. I, I can't find somebody. And, and just like you, I, I'm going through a season right now, I'm sure you're saying where I'm hurting. I don't have that close friend in my life. And yeah, I've got all those friends, but man, there's empty. 
there's this emptiness inside of me and I can't f- seem to fill it. I don't know what to do. So Jim, what does all of this do for me? Well, I want to remind you, there is no, no friend that fills these all perfectly. Nobody. We all fall short. We all can't fulfill every single one of them. I, I strive to as much as I can, but even I as a pastor can't do all of these well. I learn and grow in each one of them. But I want to tell you there is one who lived this out perfectly. And even more than that, uh, did incredible things for each and every one of us. We've already talked about him. His name is Jesus. So maybe as you're watching here online, as you're uh, discovering who Jesus is, maybe you've been watching us for several weeks and you're finding out us, we, we can't stop talking about Jesus because he's changed our lives so much. Maybe today for the first time, you're coming to a realization that you need something more in your life. And I want to tell you, that's who Jesus is. Let's talk about these qualities in Jesus's life. That Jesus would be more interested in you rather than himself. How in the world did that happen? When Jesus is with God Almighty, there is a broken relationship between man and God because we've all sinned. God's a holy God and we are not. And when we sin, it separated us from God Almighty. In order to glorify Jesus, uh, in order to glorify God, Jesus says, I'm going to step out of heaven and I'm going to come and live on this earth. He was so interested in you. He chose up to give up all of the, the glory and the power and the authority they had in that moment and come to live as a man on this earth. He valued you that much. As a matter of fact, talking about value, that he valued relationship. I shared with you that when we sin, when we do things wrong, it breaks our relationship with God Almighty, a holy God. The only way to right that relationship is through Jesus. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, but he didn't just live a life. He went to a cross. He actually looked through eternity, looked through all time. He saw you today. He, know, he knew all the things that you were going to do wrong in your life. He knew all the things I would do wrong in my life. And he went to the cross and he took all of those things on his shoulders and he died on the cross for you and for me in our place. He values the relationship with us. Praise the Lord, though, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. We can become a part of the family of God if we choose to follow after who Jesus is. He is ready and willing for you today. Do you know that Jesus works with you, not against you? He is fighting for you today. Jesus is. He's the one that's brought you to this moment where you're watching online right now, where you're searching for something more. He knows that in your life. He's calling for you today. Jesus is fighting for you. He's working for you in this very moment now. He's calling you to know him and to love him. And lastly, that Jesus would be gospel-centered. Jesus is the good news. (laughs) Jesus is the one for you and me that brings salvation today. Scripture talks about that. And I wanted to read a passage for you that reminds us of how much Jesus loves us. John chapter 15 and verses 12 and 13. This is what Jesus is saying to all of us. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's such how familiar. But greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends, a life-giving friend, that Jesus would lay down his life for you. And you know what? He did. Jesus went to the cross for you. He is that much of a life-giving friend. As I look at who Jesus is, here's what Jesus is saying to you today. John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. If you're looking for a life-giving friend, this is where you'll find it. That deep longing that will be answered Jesus is the one that will do that for you today. It's time to choose him. Here's what he says in verse nine. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Then Jesus talks about in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Those are those friends that try to pull you away all the time. But Jesus says, I have come that they 
might have life and that they would have it abundantly. Jesus is saying to us, I want to be a life-giving friend to you, that you would have life, have it abundantly. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The greatest friend you could ever have is Jesus today. You can become a part of the family of God. Are you willing, as it says here, when Jesus says, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, are you ready to take the step of faith to put your faith and trust in Jesus? Today's the day. So for those of you that don't know him, here's the first step. It is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to take that step, to walk through the door and to tell Jesus that you want him to be your life-giving friend today. How do you do that? Well, you just admit to him. Say, Jesus, I am, I am sorry. I have messed up in my life. I know I have sinned. I know I've done wrong against you. Today, Jesus, I choose you. Would you tell him that, that you believe in him, that you put your faith in him, and that you're willing to step through that door and follow after him? When that happens in your life, your life will be changed forever. And I want to tell you, it doesn't mean it will always be easy, but you will always have Jesus with you. Always have Jesus with you. If you did that today, and this was your choice that you wanted to make, we have pastors that would love to be able to walk with you, be able to encourage you in this moment. As a matter of fact, you can simply text the word next step to 94253, or you can go to filter.org slash next step. There's a real simple form to fill out there, a place for you to tell us that it says, I, will, I want to follow Jesus. And by the way, there's another place that says, I would love to be baptized. This afternoon, we are having a baptism celebration at 430. It's going to be at the uh, Pioneer Campus and at the Grand Prairie Campus. If you're close to one of those campuses, we'd love for you to come to be able to express your heart and life in uh, letting others know that you gave your life to Jesus through baptism. We can tell you more about it. Simply come this afternoon at 430. Or if you want on that same form, when you're filling it out there, there's a place to check that you'd like to be baptized. We will have a pastor follow up with you to be able to share with you about next steps. So for the rest of you that know Jesus, as they're filling out the form, those that don't know, let me talk to you. There's a side of this that we've watched Paul and we've watched his friends where they have poured into Paul's life. But I want to tell you as a Christ follower, we've heard over and over again about what it means to be a life-giving friend to somebody else. Have you been a friend, a life-giving friend to someone? Have you gotten to a place that you've poured into their life, that, that you have shown interest in them uh, more than your own self, that you have gotten to a place that you valued a relationship with them, that you work with that person, not against them, that you've had the gospel on your heart and mind ready to share? Has God brought somebody to your own mind today that maybe you need to go and be a life-giving friend to them? Doesn't mean you always have somebody. I know it was hard a couple of weeks ago when we went through that time and maybe nobody called you or nobody followed up with you. As difficult and lonely as that can be, you can always turn to Jesus. By the way, would you want somebody else to remain lonely out there like that? As a Christ follower, Jesus tells us over and over again to go love one another. Today, I would challenge you as a Christ follower. Maybe it's time for you to go be a life-giving friend to somebody else. Would you commit to do that today? Has Jesus put somebody on your heart and mind? Maybe it's your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, somebody that you've seen over and over again. Would you be a life-giving friend? Pour into them. Let them go through this time seeing Jesus work in you. The other part is that maybe you've got some friends that have been pulling you away from Jesus. They've been pulling you down. Is it time to wrestle with those and say, I choose to let them go so I can choose friends that would pour a Jesus into me? Is that what he's asking you to do? Then lastly, and I'm about to wrap up here. Thankfully, as Paul's talking about these two guys, uh, he was giving them praise. As a matter of fact, he, he said to the church at, at Philippi, as he was talking about them, that 
that they would see all joy and honor in such men as these. He's bragging on these guys. Do you have a life-giving friend that's in your life right now? When's the last time you've told them thank you? It would mean the world uh, to them to hear that from you, that you could say thank you to them for pouring into you. Maybe uh, as soon as the service is over today, you'd want to get online, just send them a message, a private message to them, or maybe you just want to send them a note. Go stop by and take them out to lunch or be able to go by their home. Would you tell them thank you? I think it would mean the world to them, just like it would to you if you heard the same thing. And by the way, the greatest thank you of all, we need to give to Jesus Christ, the life-giving friend that we have. We're about to sing a song here in just a moment. I love the song. It's called Friend of God. It's a, it's a reminder that for those of us that know Jesus in our life, that he is our life-giving friend. And we get to express that in song. Before we do that, though, I want to prepare you. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together at the end of the song. So if you don't have the elements, the bread and the juice or, or whatever you have to be able to take in elements, go get that while we're singing this song. Come back in, in just a moment. Pastor Jason's going to come back and lead us in, in the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's uh, Supper here at the end. A chance to be able to take that together. It's a chance for us to say thank you to Jesus. That he loved us so much that he was more interested in you than he was himself. That he valued a relationship with you. That he is uh, working with you, fighting for you. And ultimately, he is the gospel. He gave his life. He gave everything for you and for me the greatest life-giving friend of all. So prepare your hearts to take the Lord's Supper and say thank you to him. Let's worship him this morning.